Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, thank you for this day that we find ourselves in the house of God. And thank you that that you have provision for us to address the very first established institution upon the earth called marriage. When you placed one man and one woman in the garden and you commanded blessing over them, saying, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it and take dominion. You desired that the family would flourish and that they would steward everything upon the earth. So we pray that you give us that understanding so we would be that family today, that we would be joined to our wives and become one, that that unity would be a covering and a blessing to our children, and that our families might flourish in your purpose, O God, that we might serve you with gladness. Bless your word as a good seed planted in good hearts that brings forth good fruit and a harvest that glorifies your name. We pray, Father God, that your word would not return void, that it would be like a double-edged sword that would cut away and discern things that are spiritual, those things that are of the soul, and that you do what you do best in having your word prosper and not return void in our lives. Bless your word this morning and allow us to see your purposes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen and amen. As we're getting prepared for the day that's recognized as the day of love, Valentine's Day, for those of you that are not watching the calendar, it's going to fastly approach on Tuesday, and you're not going to have a card, you're not going to have flowers, you're not going to have chocolate. Those are the three things that are the minimal that will give you a D plus in your love relationship. But to be able to lavish and adorn your spouse in the manner that God would give you as an example. So it's really crazy um, Christina, my daughter, came up to us last, in the last couple of days and she said, hey, Dad, Valentine's is coming up. Are you preparing for mom? And I said, oh, we don't do that stuff no more. That, those days are gone. <laughs> we, we don't celebrate that day anymore. No, I was kidding, but um, I find it to be a great day to celebrate love. We, we so Previous years, we, we found out why they call it the day of love and um, we did a little bit of research, and it says that scientists took microphones and set them out in the Amazon, the jungles, uh, for the entire year. And it was unusual on the second month of the year, February, and on the 14th day, they heard incredible, unusual sounds and mating calls like no other day of the year. So that's why it culminated on that day. And we say that 
there was a fellow over there going, ah, ah, and then the corresponding woman would go, aha, aha, like, come on, bring it, bring it on. And so that was the matchmaking day of all the year. Um, sadly enough, man has lost his touch. And when Feb February 14th comes along, there's no flowers, there's no chocolate, there's no cards. And then when he's like, aha, aha, he hears his wife in the bathtub going, aha, aha. <laughs> and we have seen over many years of digging into these things that there is a manner to cultivate an expression of love to merit the fruit in your garden. And men hate this, but the principle is whatever a man sows, he's going to reap. And he who sows the wind, goose egg zero, reaps the whirlwind. That means everything's upside down. You don't know why um, there's no apparition in, on that day of love. Um, these principles in the word of God are, are so powerful that they actually form the basis of a lot of our teaching. And uh, for whatever it's worth, um, in the Songs of Solomon, chapter 4 and verse 12, we found these, these verses here that say... Um, they explain a little bit of this garden, uh, Songs of Solomon 4.12. A garden is the place where someone related to being a sister who, because of the proximity of the friendship and the closeness, has now become your spouse. So all these are foundational things. Um, and it begins to describe this place uh, for, for what it's worth, the word husband means gardener. And it, a gardener's profession is to cultivate. And the opposite of cultivate is to neglect. And so all these principles are in our teaching as essential in the expression of a fruitful garden that we want to enjoy. This man says, I come to this garden... And I find verse 13, you are, the, what's growing in that garden are plants, orchards of pomegranates, a fruit, pleasant fruit. Um, I don't, if you don't know why you have to describe pleasant fruit, it's because some fruit is not pleasant. And I was just talking to some man and was explaining to them that in Central America and many of the South American countries, there's the trash heap. It's where the, the city dumps its trash. And families are so poor there, they live around that ash heap and they go in there every morning to find food. And the best apple they ever ate, the best one had two worms in it and was rotten. But if you were to speak to them about that's not an apple, that's not a real apple, that's not good fruit, they would probably not believe you and curse you because that's what they desire. 
But the truth of the matter is that many people in life's journey are around the trash heap eating stuff that is rotten, full of worms, that is not pleasant. Here the Lord is talking and describing of a time and a day where there's pleasant fruit and a fragrance of henna and spikenard. These elements are those which are used to do perfumes. And they are attractive. And they cause you to approach. And some people have better, better, um, I don't know how to, how do you say olfato in, in English? Yeah, but you, you had that. Jules, Jules, say it out loud. Olfactory, you said? Yeah. Some of us today smell good. Others of us could use a little fragrance. I'll be walking down the mall and a person will pass by me. I'll like, wait a second. That was good. I almost want to go up to them and say, could you share the recipe? You share this. Where's the sauce? But here, that's what the Bible is describing in this garden, which is your spouse. The next verse 14 continues on to explain and describe spikenard and saffron, calamus, cinnamon. With all trees of frankincense, myrrh, alloys. With the chief spices. And he does the same thing I do. Verse 15, he says like this. It is wellspring of life. Verse 16. Awake north wind. Come south. That's the wind that's at the Bahamas. Blow upon my garden. So I could smell how rotten my life is. No, he's not saying that. North wind brings in the winter. The south wind brings in the summer and the hurricanes. And doesn't matter the winds that are blowing, like Pastor Palmer said yesterday in his session. It's the foundation by which you've been building that determines whether your marriage will stand or fall. Let my beloved come into his garden. So many men are looking at other people's garden, and I think somebody said it, I think it was Suleika, the grass is not greener on the other side of the fence. The grass is greener where it's being watered. And if you're looking elsewhere, it's because you have neglected your own. Because the responsibility of every man is that their wife would be the most beautiful woman upon the earth. I made my wife so attractive, my sons were like on her. Hugging her all day, I would tell them, you go get your own. This is my work. Brandon, you go make Vicky pretty. Leave my woman alone. Nick, you too. If you want something like this, you got to go... First of all, pray for it. I said, I prayed for a virtuous woman for a long time. I wasn't looking for something that did not have the expression of high wisdom. A virtuous woman. She's to be desired. The Bible says her value far surpasses economic of gold, silver, and precious stones. So my, my three boys were 
were desirous of finding a wife. I think Joshua's still looking. He doesn't like me to talk about it. But that man has that, what's that called? That diamond eyeglass? He's not looking for any cheap stuff. He's, he's going to pay a price to get the real thing, the substance. And then the challenge is, did your wife's parents keep a bigger smile on your wife's face than you do? Selah, or Selah, whatever it is. Watch this. The challenge is that we were attracted to our spouse because of what we saw when we caught her eye. And that smile was put on there by her father and her mother who took care of her for a long time. So last night we were laughing because we were listening to Professor Linsky and his dissertation that he fell in love with his wife because she was hot. Uh, we have to go to the Bahamas to find out what that means. They have a song that's hot, hot, hot. It's so hot, hot, hot. So while William was at the mature age to be able to know what hot was, I still don't know what hot means, but I'll let's leave it there. They said, Joaquin, how did you fall in love? And, and I said, it was her smile. I, I didn't say I looked across the school and saw a hot babe. Because she was 12. <laughs> she had nothing in front and nothing in back. But she had a big smile. And when I saw her smile, I said, when I grow up, I'm going to marry that woman. It was a joke at the time. But I didn't know my prophetic gift was so accurate. <laughs> the Lord had called a prophet. So I meet her later at 16 and then said, this one's not going to get away. First, I offered her to Jules, my younger brother, because he was in the school with her. And he used to always steal my girlfriends. So I had to get rid of all the pests before I stepped in for a kill. And so we've been married now for 29 years, and all these principles have been super powerful to teach us what our parents didn't know. Our parents did not know these principles. They did not know that it is a man's responsibility to adorn his wife. And we see that Jesus lays down his life in Ephesians 5.25 to present unto himself... It says, husband, love your wives just as Christ loves the church, who gave himself for her. Why did he lay down his life for her, verse 26, so that he might <coughs> sanctify, cleanse, and wash through the word of God as if it were water, verse 27, in order to present unto himself a glorious church that has no wrinkle, has no such thing, but she should be holy and without stain, without blemish. Um, this is the verse that some women use to use Botox without wrinkle, but that's not, that's not the proper application.
to present to himself a glorious church, a bride, a glorious church, a bride. And, and so we have all the principles in God's word. We have the desire that the north wind would come, that the south wind would come, that it would blow upon our garden. It says why there in verse Songs of Solomon 4.16, blow, awake north wind, awake come south wind. You're inviting the winter, the summer. Blow upon my garden and let it release that its spices might flow out. Let my beloved come to his garden and enjoy the harvest of what has been sown and cultivated. Um, I was early on in my marriage. Uh, bring me that, the flowers that they tossed. I don't know if somebody has them. Um, early on in my marriage, I was married about a year and a half, two years. And uh, the Lord was teaching me on how to be a husband. And when I met Yvette, this is what it looked like. She was awesome. She was a rose garden, beautiful, attractive led me to go to her house, knock on her door, and say, I want you to be the mother of my kids. That's not how it happened. That's not how it Some people says, you were a predator. <laughs> and married, and short years of our marriage, the Lord says, every time you come home and you pick at Yvette for not paying the bills, for not picking up a gallon of milk, for not... All these things that you're picking at her beauty, you're going to end up with a bunch of stems with thorns in it. And this is the expression of some people's husbandry. They have devastated their wife. That beautiful hot girl <laughs> that attracted them now is totally unattractive. And like William said, the professor... He says, your marriage now is like Ikea. You're into it, but you're dying to get out of it. You're stuck in the labyrinth of a maze that has nothing of value there. So when the Lord said that, I said, oh, we got to fix this. We got to start cultivating the flourishing of our relationship. So these were lessons through the word of God that allowed us to reap the wisdom to write this book, What is a Man?, and to allow every man to champion their marriage. Amen. Because anyone could bring ruin to this place. He keeps on saying there, chapter 5 of Songs of Solomon, verse 1, I have come to my garden, that one who is close to me like a sister to my spouse. And thus I have gathered myrrh and spice, I've eaten my honeycomb with my honey, and I've drunk my wine with my milk. So, so we have a lot to work on. And for whatever it's worth, God always leads by example. And he chooses the driest place in all of the earth, in the Middle East, that region called the land of promise, Canaan, Israel. Nothing grows there. And... He says to his people, come, I'm going to take you to a land that flows with milk and honey. 
And he makes an arid desert the most fruitful place on planet earth. So we are all without excuse. The national symbol of Israel are two men who carry a cluster of grapes that drag on the ground. Every grape is the size of grape fruit. Every grape is about this big. And a cluster of grapes needs to be carried by two men with a pole across. And it's the national symbol of Israel to this day. As a witness to every man, why is it that you are not cultivating your garden? How come you're expecting to reap what you have not sown? February 14th. I don't know where these flowers are, but you show up in the bedroom. And she's like, devil, get away from me. She pulls out the crucifix. Vampiro, get out of here. And, and somebody said, I think it was Pastor Jules, you can't cover up ugly with makeup. For whatever is worth, whoever is trying to rearrange their face when there's not true happiness in the heart is wasting his time. And so these truths are there in the Bible, not for our contemplation, appreciation, but for our practice and application. We say that we don't teach information. We want to experience transformation. And, and wherever we are on the planet, we tell men that a wife's countenance is the expression of a man's character. We tell men in these conferences, if you're not going to say amen, at least say ouch. Because God wants you to enjoy your garden. God wants you to be an exemplary husband. God wants you to discern times. How many know some of you want to engage with your wives at the wrong time? It's like trying to pull a badger out of the hole. You're never going to forget. You didn't discern that it was the inappropriate time to approach. Instead of you having a royal banquet table and feast, you have a royal mess. You have awful expressions due to your conduct. So we, we say, okay, I want to love my wife as Christ loves the church. I want to walk in his example. Apparently, we have not been taught. I told you that last week was Mark Anthony's fourth marriage and probably hundredth relationship. And I, want, I walked into, I was watching a newspaper. Um, it was a print on social media and it had the picture of Mark Anthony and his son and daughter from the first marriage and they're looking into each other's eyes. And this, this photo made me cry because I saw the emptiness in the eyes of the father cracking the hypocritical smile to his son and his son looking into his father's eyes and I could almost imagine what the 28-year-old is telling the 54-year-old. 
This is what, this is what the 20-year-old, 28-year-old is telling his 54-year-old father. Instead of you finding a 21-year-old wife, you should have found a wife for me, like Abraham did for Isaac. So how does a son feel when his father can't be successful in three marriages and finds a 21-year-old instead of introducing her to his son would be most appropriate? He takes and usurps his son's provision because he still hasn't figured it out. And now he cannot give his son what he doesn't have. And his son is looking at his father saying, you don't even know how to do life. And while you're rejoicing and wanting me to be full of joy, the truth is, this is another ride, roller coaster, emotional, royal mess. And we are the answer. We are the answer. When, when Geraldo, the trumpet player on that band who comes to this church is part of the worship team, and Denise, his wife, and their two children are feasting at the royal banquet table of the Lord, being a great husband, a great father, and a half-decent trumpet player. <laughs> Guy's a monster. But years ago, I said, you're going to be a better husband and father than you are a trumpet player. And now when Mark Anthony looks over and sees Geraldo, feliz, happy. And see the expression of doing life right because he's grounded in Christ and because it has defined what a husband is to his wife and what he is to his children. For the glory of children are their parents. That's, that's where we're headed in all this. The marriage conference yesterday was great. But, but the substance of those people that were there served the purpose of showering and refreshing their children with the confidence and the expectation of solid future in the blessing of the Lord. I love watching Pastor Kenny and Jenny and, and looking at their sons desiring the same reality they've seen their parents' life. The joy, the expression. I'm dying to see Ashley. Where's Ashley? There she is. Ashley, I'm dying to see who's going to dare to walk up to you. I'm going to live for that moment. I said, Lord, just let me see that scene and then let me go home. Why? Because she has a standard and a measure. She's not going to bum up to any fool. There's, there's something there that's been imprinted in her understanding of what it is to have a husband. That to have someone show up, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it's going to be like Georgie here with his little skit here uh, with the little ring and this and this and, and Megan's like, ah. <laughs> I think it's going to take a lot more to get Ashley to come on your side. But Ezekiel 16 has for us a glimpse into God's capacity to be a husband. And in this passage, I want you to measure up in verse 8, Ezekiel 16a, it says, When I came across you and I looked upon you, indeed it was Valentine's week. It was the time of love. This exchange is awesome. 
So I spread. Uh, one, one case I had years ago when I was in my law practice, um, it was two state troopers. Um, I'll never forget the name of one guy, Ralph Lola, Lola. And he was a state trooper. And then the woman who they met and they liked each other. And she came to my law firm. Listen to this. This is crazy. She came to my law firm to pay for his divorce from his wife to marry him. And I was there in my office, two state troopers, my time now to give them a ticket. And I told her, have you seen his trajectory? He's been married five times. What are you looking for? How is it that you vet a guy like Ben Affleck, who has three children of his own, 17, 14, and 10, and is leaving them to chase a woman who twerks naked in front of 50 million, who has children, Jennifer Lopez. He's with her, but he's leaving his family. How does she say, oh, you abandon your wife and children? I think that'll be you. You'll be my next prospect. So I told this lady, I said, listen, have you, do you know his... I, I was involved in Ralph's Lola's earlier marriages and relationships. And now this is number five. And they're sitting before me and she's paying his legal bills so that she could marry him. And I'm thinking, loca, <laughs> insane, what are you doing? Did, did you do a background check? Do you understand what you're getting yourself? No. No idea. But, but again, sorry, Ashley, brought you into my message. Pass by, time of love. I covered you with my wings. I, I, I brought my provision to cover you so you would live in the refreshing expression of a shadow. He who abides under the shadow of the Most High. Talking about coming under a refuge. Don't come next to a guy like the guy last night. Hey, why don't we hook up? Well, where are we staying? I got a nice little tent there behind Publix. Really? There's no shade there. There's no wing. There's no covering. In order to be covered, you need to have substance. And he says... It was times of love, I spread my wings, and I covered your nakedness. You're not exposed to the elements. The provision of covering, and, and sadly enough, I'm going to say this, go on record saying this, sadly enough, women today have so little cover, they're willing to take camp under any shed offered. It was the expression of Lisa Marie Presley, who passed away a couple of weeks ago, Elvis's daughter, who says, I can't find no cover in this world. Let me go see if I could cover myself under the name of the king of pop, Michael Jackson. At that point, Elvis Presley was rolling in his grave. That his only daughter could only find refuge in a real despicable and unlikely place. So all these expressions are there for us to garner wisdom. It was a time of love. There was wings spread that promised to cover my nakedness. Come, I want to take care of you. Come 
underneath the wings of my love because there you will find refuge. You will find protection. You will find provision. You will find purpose. You will find significance. You will be celebrated like Pastor Jewel said. Yes, I was willing to enter into an oath. It wasn't my word. It wasn't a promise. It was covenant. I took you to the altar before the man of God that God would be the witness of this relationship. How many know he's still the witness? He's still there watching. He says, I have witnessed you and the wife whom which you have treated treacherously. All these things seem to be incredibly right in line with our reality. I entered into a covenant with you. If a man doesn't take you to his church to, um, to introduce his pastor and you see him faithfully serving the people of God in faithfulness, obedience, and honor, don't marry that man. Tell him to go back to his mama. And you, after the covenant, became mine. Now I asked the men, what is the last name of your wife? And usually that's when you extend the representation that belongs to Molina, that, that belongs to Hanau, that belongs to Smith, to Rodriguez, to Palma, to Maldonado. Richard Maldonado, Richie Ray. Here, you give your wife your name and she represents your glory. Therefore, when Hillary Rodham marries Bill Clinton, she doesn't want to be called Clinton because that's a bad representation. She wants to be called Hillary Rodham. She wants to be known by her dad's last name and not her husband's. There it is, verse 9, I covered your nakedness, I washed you, I bathed you, I cleansed you. When, when you meet your spouse, they come with a lot of pain from their upbringing, and there's a lot of misconceptions of who they are and what their value is, and you need to begin to wash and to cleanse and tell them who they are and redeem what the devil has wanted to bring as a message to them that they're insignificant that they're ugly, that they're despised, that they're not beloved and welcomed. And, and this is the initial impressions. You can't invite a woman to be the all that and then begin to disparage her and tear away the garments of her covering where you begin to compete and tell her what she's not. Because when you first met her, you said, you are Miss Universe. You can do no wrong. You are amazing. Will you come and take my side and accompany me and let's do life together? I anointed you with oil. That in the Hebrew translation says Chanel. <laughs> I bought you perfumes that would set you aside from any other woman in the world as the measure and the content of my character. The fragrance of Christ. I anointed you. If, if you've never bought your wife perfume, I allow her to give you 12 months without any intimacy. 
I've told men like that over the years, marriage counseling. I said, you're so stuck on wanting to have intimacy, but you've done nothing to flourish that area of your life. So why don't you just put it away and dedicate yourself to loving this woman instead of wanting to make love? It's a big difference. It's a big difference. The world does not know that. Uh, Paul says, we are not those that move in the lust of the flesh like the Gentiles with all manner of impurities, desiring that lust would flourish because I've called you to purity, to holiness. So we don't know that, but a perfume goes a long way in helping you, your relationship. Verse 10, washed you, cleansed you, covered you, anointed you, and now clothed, <coughs> sorry, clothed you. I thought it was fun in our honeymoon. Um, we were up in the Boston area with Yvette and I walk into a store and I bought like some ridiculous 15 pairs of shoes. <laughs> 15? Absolutely. It's like, lady, you're going to have good shoes all your life. <laughs> I, I know your heart. I know where you're at. You have to be an imbecile to not know that women love shoes. And then you have to be a fool not to know your wife's shoe size. And your responsibility is to adorn your wife in a manner that reflects the goodness of the Lord. The Bible says like this, you gave her embroidered clothes, you gave her sandals. Gave you sandals made out of badger skin. It, it, was, it was a precious commodity back in the day. Clothed you with fine linen. Covered you with silk. This is a godly church, otherwise the women would be shouting right now. <laughs> Preach it, pastor. Tell it, preacher. And we really believe that this is God telling us how to love our wives. Yes, sir. Oh, oh, all I know how to do is plumbing. Uh, all I know how to do is an electrician or landscaper or God knows what. Man, you better learn quick. Days are getting old. You're going to miss out. It was the greatest story was Daniel Lopez. Where is he? Daniel Lopez was reminding his dad that Valentine's was coming up. This was about eight years ago. And he's like, dad, did you get mom something? And Richard turns around to him and says, it's not her birthday. He had forgot Valentine's was coming up. So his son was like, we better go shopping, you and I. At the time, I think, how old are you now, uh, 17, yeah, so he was about nine years old, 10 years old. And he's telling his father how to love on his mom. The glorious story that I heard one time was a little girl. She used to come to our church with her dad. And she was about six years old and a single father. He was divorced from the mom and they were going through marital spout. And the little girl was watching mom and dad argue all the time. And they would get into it, man. They were in the living room and they're just going at it. They're both yelling. And, a, and, and the daughter goes, hey, dad. The six-year-old daughter called. She was already used to it. She was jaded already. Come here, come here, come here. So he goes over and he listens to her. He goes, what, what? He goes, she goes, Dad, when you argue with mom, put your hands in your pocket or behind your back because when you're doing like this, it's almost like you're scaring that you're going to hit her. So you're scaring mom and you're not being effective at communicating. 
She's a six, seven-year-old little girl. And she's teaching a grown man how to communicate with his wife. I heard that. I was like, man, we're doing good things at this church. <laughs> little children will teach you how to behave in the marriage relationship that you guys don't even know how to do. It was yesterday also one of the couples came to the marriage conference. And there's another, listen to me, as a pastor, as a bishop, the first thing that when people, they come up to me, they say hello. The first thing a woman who hasn't been here for a long time does is she wants to communicate how awful her husband is. (laughs) So I'm coming into the conference and she says, hey, pastor, could I say something? I go, oh my God, you guys have only been here a week. Don't start disparaging your husband in front of me. She's telling on him. She goes, this morning, I put on an outfit and I asked my husband how I looked. So he's a Cuban guy. guy. He's not very sophisticated. He goes, he goes, he said this word. He says, "Um, you look uniform in Spanish. Estas uniformada. And, And she says, I don't know what he was trying to communicate. I said, why didn't you ask him? And she goes, I did. And then he showed me a picture of his compatriots in Cuba dressed up in uniform. <laughs> and you look uniformada. So he communicates. She got insanely upset. She went and she changed and she didn't talk to him for the rest of the morning. So now we're at the conference and she's telling on him. I said, well, if you're going to ask your husband what he sees, you cannot get mad when he tells you. And that's the point where all the men say, If you're going to ask your husband, you're going to get an answer. If you don't like the answer, then you can't ask him. And he goes, he goes, exactly. I can't even tell this woman what I think because then she gets mad at me. But I know it's none of you guys, right? You're not like that. I said, when he gives you feedback, then carry the feedback and go and adjust and dress according to his liking. Because that's the whole purpose of being looking good. I said, for example, look, I told him, this is, this is my communication with, with Yvette yesterday. We went out the day before. We didn't find anything. So yesterday, um, Friday morning, right before the conference, Yvette went out real early, and she got an outfit, and she sends it to me, and she says, how does this look? And I respond, beautiful. So she knows this is awesome. And I said, look how we do it. And then he says, she's never done that in 33 years. I go, yeah, but you haven't taught and shown her how to move in a productive mindset so these are the little issues that people are dealing with in in the world all over the place it doesn't matter how long they've been married they've never been taught and thank god that god has given us a refreshing to read ezekiel 16 and see the process he goes about some of you guys are done at the fine linen and the silk You're like, pastor, stop. I said, no, let's go forward in Jesus' name. Verse 11, I adorned you with ornaments, jewelry. Woo, woo. The women say, preach it, pastor. I put bracelets on your wrist and a chain around your neck. I adorned you. I adorned you. The efforts of my sacrifice and my work and my diligence and my going out there, I'm not going to let... I thank God for my in-laws and how they adorned my wife in the early years where it caused me to notice. But now it's on my watch for 29 years. 
and the purpose of making her not somebody who's insecure about who she is and going to get breast implants and all manner of surgical, I don't like your nose, it curves a little bit. You're supposed to say, man, that's an interesting, you got that, when they tell you you got an exotic look, you know what they're talking about, right? Something's not ordinary. Have your husband going around and says, I have an exotic wife. But all the better for that man to enjoy the journey of love and the harvest feast at the banquet table and not end up with a royal mess. He, um, the, the, some religious sect says, oh, you, you can't concentrate on the outside. Well, my God concentrates on the outside. He's looking. He says, let your adornment be inwardly because if you're ugly on the inside, it doesn't matter how you look on the outside, which is the problem of today's women. They have all manner of outward expressions. They could turn next, but live with them one minute and you'll wish you had died before you met her. <laughs> because it's the inward beauty of a woman's gentle and quiet spirit. Those, those two words are bizarre. Ron, write that down. Gentle and quiet. He's tuned out. Gentle and quiet. Okay, write those two words down. Gentle and quiet. What the heck is not gentle? What, what is not gentle? That should be World War III. And so that's, that's why William was saying it's like a Kia. You're trying to find your way out of your marriage because this woman has no softness to her. Of many women come from the outside into our ministry, they look like gorillas. They're commanding order. Their husband, they look at their husband, their husband's like. <laughs> Bishop Boone calls them hen pecked. <laughs> the hen pecks the rooster and keeps them at bay. We don't want to be like that. We want to have the expressions of the security, the assurance of we have been loved. Um, some people do it the opposite. They, they, they buy outward adornments and they neglect the inward emotions and spirit of a woman. And that's a curse. We have, we have women that come up to our ministry all the time. It says, my, my husband bought me a Rolls Royce. He bought me fine jewelry, watches, Rolexes. I'm finely arrayed. On, I look like a Christmas tree on the outside. But don't come knocking because there's no one home. The man has neglected the inward beauty of a woman. Continues on to say, we're not done yet. I want to hurry up because our time is up. I put jewels and earrings on your ears, the Middle East on the nose, a crown so beautiful on your head, verse 13, thus you were so adorned with gold, silver, clothing, fine linen, silk, embroidered cloth. I took you to the best restaurants, Taco Bell. P.E. says, no. <laughs> the finest restaurants. Talk to Pastor Omar. Omar does his due diligence. Leanne has eaten at the finest and the best. My sister. Pastry of fine flour. Honey, oil. 
you were exceedingly beautiful and succeeded to the royal banquet table. You were as fine. You were my queen. You were arrayed with all manner of expressions of the beauty I bestowed upon you. He says to this, verse 14, your renown went among the nations because of your beauty, for it was perfect. How was it perfect? Through my splendor, which I bestowed upon you, says the Lord. That's top-notch husbandry. And that's our God to his people. And so we don't fall short of that measure. We understand, we meditate. There's one man, we went to Central America. We saw one pastor there with his wife and daughter. And we stayed there for seven days on our first trip. And we went to his church. Man, crickets, no one was there. And he was like, hallelujah. Manos, Dios te bendiga. His wife sat at the back of the church with her head bowed, embarrassed. So seven days later, he came up to him and says, I know you guys are men of God. I want you to give me a word from the Lord. I said, I don't think you're going to handle it. He goes, no, I know you guys are the real deal. I've watched you for seven days straight, night and day, and I know that you guys will speak to me something will be transformational. I said, okay, where's your wife? He says, she's inside the, our house. I said, bring her out. So she came out, and I asked him in front of her, when's the last time you brought home flowers? The answer was never. When have you brought her a dress? I don't know her size. When have you bought her shoes? When have you bought her perfume? All the answers were, I've neglected my spouse. And she says, could I say something? I said, yeah, her name was Maria. And she says, I've been married to my husband for 25 years and it's July. And at the end of the July, he tells me he's leaving me. He's, he's abandoning me because I am a hindrance to his ministry. And then I turned to him and I said, you don't have a ministry to take care of the bride of Christ when you can't take care of your own bride. So sit down for a year and dedicate yourself to loving this woman and adorning her so that your church might be filled with the hope of many families reconciling and flourishing as God would have it in his word. And his name was Pastor Miguel and he did that. He, he, he went to his superiors and he quit and he says I'm not fit to take care of the house of God and being called a spiritual man when I'm neglecting my wife and I said you're right on so many men will not be able to tolerate this message but it's in preparation for the days to come and for the ministry to come I always say that when we travel the world the first question that people ask me when I get off an airplane is how's your wife doing because if I'm not taking care of her, I'm a fraud. If I'm not laying my life down for her, the second question they ask me is, how's your children? Because if you're not faithful to attend to your own house and its prosperity, you cannot offer what you don't have. You can't export what you have not imported. And so we thank God for these messages. They never grow old. 
We've been sharing them now for 25 years in our church because of we celebrate our 25th anniversary this year and we're gonna do it large and only God knows what's to come. But I, I really believe that it's bizarre that at the State of the Union, the vice president's wife goes up, the president's wife goes up to the vice president's husband and they kiss in the mouth. And you're like, hmm, da-da-da-da, da-da-da-da. That's weird, people. That's strange. And they asked her, hey, did you notice that uh, while you were going like this back there, they're, mm. and she goes, oh, no, they're just good friends. I go, hmm. Okay. Let's stand this morning and ask God and to be our prayer that we would participate in the royal feast and not continue in our royal mess. And so the responsibility every time we share this message, watch this real quick. Every time we share this message, there's never a time where the man is not feeling that he was bashed. <laughs> I'm not going to that church anymore because all they do is bash on men. No, my friend, legitimacy dictates that you put into your spouse the reality of your high call to be a husband. I use military, uh, military terms that if you're a high-ranking general in the military in the United States, five-star general, and you start courting with the Russian KGB and exchanging information, that's called treason, and it's the highest expression of disloyalty that merits death. They don't say, oh, you're going to go go to prison, we're going to find you. No, no, you're going to die because you had no right to be commanding office and betray that, that relationship. You don't deserve another opportunity. They, they would never hire you again to be a five-star general in the United States if you cross that barrier and line. So what does it make you think as a husband that you could be unfaithful and then come back and says, just give me another chance. There is no other chance. You blew it. It's only in God's redeeming grace that the opportunity of restoration happens and you have one more opportunity to show yourself to be a champion and to honor that relationship God has gifted you with. And so the challenges is, and we said it yesterday as we finished the Live, Love, Laugh, that we're entering Ecclesiastes 12.1. It says, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth before, because now we're going to go into a season of difficult days. And, and those of you like me who's 55 and over know what it is, the difficult days, where it says there also, the years draw near where there's not an expression of pleasure like it was at the beginning. So I, I just say that that in the advance of a season to come, it's going to be even harder for you to stay the course and keep the charge you've been entrusted with. And so one man, the day after he got back from his honeymoon, he went to a funeral home and he bought two cemetery plots and the caskets and all that. And the wife says, you're going to kill me. She, he goes, no, I'm going to live with you to the last breath and we're going to be there at the end together, lying side by side. It's a man with vision, with understanding. 
He, he, he walked like Jesus who said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The confidence of you're not wavering in your commitment and dedication. And so it gets interesting in the passing days and years um, where we're going to have to up our game. We're going to have to take it up a notch, you know. I, I told my wife that now when Christina gets married soon, it's prophetic. She's like, Dad, how do you know it's going to be soon? Well, I don't know, but I see three empty rooms there, so I could only imagine that God is also going to entice you to leave your father, which is like the unpardonable sin, right? <laughs> I said, Christina, are you really going to ever have enough stamina to sit there and walk away with someone else? And she tells me, Dad, I got to break it to you. I'm not going to be a Molina forever. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That better be a good name. A good name is rather to be chosen than gold and silver. You better have, you better read Ezekiel 16 again. Have a Christ-like gentleman. One who invites you to cover you, to provide. So this is what our, that's why I said Ashley, is, she's not going to compromise. She's not going to negotiate. She's not going to settle for less. One day I told Joshua, Pastor Joshua, I said, Pastor Joshua, I'm concerned that when you guys grow up, you're going to drop, you're going to drop the standard. You know, I'm concerned. I'm a father. I want you guys always to keep the high standard that your parents gave you. And he says, Dad, we're not going to lower the standard. We're not going to keep the standard. We're going to raise the standard. We're going to do it even more intense than you. And if you've heard him preach, you know he's going to play games. When Pastor Joshua grabs the pulpit, he clears the church. Because he has a high standard of excellence. And so we know that God will help him because it's not good for him to be alone. There's going to be a godly woman that will come and assist him in this journey of love and of service. So, Father, thank you for this message this morning. It has really convicted our hearts as we measure up against your word and fall short. But you, Lord, are able to bring us to our highest game and to be able to make these words not fall on a dry ground, but that it might fall on a fertile ground and give forth abundant fruit, that our wives might testify, my husband takes care of me, he loves me, he provides, he watches over me and my children, He's under the shadow of God most high. And in that place, he will flourish. In that place, he will provide gloriously all the things that your word calls us to do. So add your blessing to your word and let it be a good seed that would bring forth a harvest in the coming days, months, weeks, and years. Let Valentine's Day be a glorious time of renewing our vow to love one another, to honor one another, to love God and to serve him keeping no records of wrong, Lord, in our perfect expression of your love towards one another. Bless your people financially, economically. Enumerate them and allow them to flourish this week like no other week before, God. You're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we pray and ask, and we will worship with an expression of perfect appreciation for all things God, in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God say amen, amen, and amen. <laughs> Greet one another in the love of the Lord.